0: Who is he who condemns? Who is he who condemns? We already know that it says that in Christ there is no condemnation, right? So who is it who condemns? The enemy. The devil. Satan. The dragon. He condemns. Well, good morning. God is good, amen. God is very, very good. In all things, when we're going through good and bad, we might think it's bad, but God is still good. God has a reason for those things that we go through, amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 8, last section of chapter 8, the love of God is the heading in my Bible. If you have an NIV, I don't know what the NIV says in the heading, but uh, the love of God, the Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31 The love of God is what my Bible says. This is going to be a section that's going to be talking about the love of God. And I think it's important that we spend some time contemplating the love of God. Why? Because not only does God love us, but more importantly, we should be sharing out that love as well. The Bible says... So so I give, so freely give. So I give, so freely give. That love of God, we should be giving it out as we are receiving it from God. That's why I said this morning it's so important that we try not to judge others for decisions that they make because it's not our place to judge. It's God's place to judge. We are just to show forth the love of God and be an encouragement to others, amen? Starting in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. When then shall we say to these things, what then shall we say to these things? He's talking about the glory to be that we talked about last week. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things, very important passages of passage of Scripture. There, who shall bring uh, a charge against God's elect? If it is God who justifies, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, yes, who is risen, who is also at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, for as is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities nor powers, neither things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord and all gathered said, Amen. This is a very important passage of scripture because this is who we are. And this is who we should be putting forth to other people. There's a few things in here that I think speak to our individual uh, circumstances for today. And I'm going to say them really quickly, then we'll dissect. Where it says here that uh, what shall separate us from the love of God, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. 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 We can walk away from it, but nothing can separate us outside of ourselves. If you think about it, people used to say, I don't know if you remember, maybe I, I didn't, never, went, never lived through this, but I remember seeing movies about, boy, people that played cards, man, that was a sin. Or people that danced, boy, that was bad. Bad. Now, if you think about that in and of itself, playing cards. What what's wrong with playing cards? Canasta or Rummy or whatever. Even poker. What's wrong with playing poker? It's a card game. The gambling is what they're getting at, not the cards game or dancing. What's wrong with dancing? I remember years i years ago, like in the sixties, I think it was. There are some denominations that said dancing was bad. It was devil's music and devil's movements. Dancing was a, is a form of, of worship to God. David danced before the Lord. What's wrong with it? But there are so many things that, that we, can, we can put things into perspective and say what is nothing will separate us from the love of God. It says here also it says, For now, for in all these things we're not more we are we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's for Jim. Tell him I said that's for him. Okay? He's more than a conqueror over this addiction in Christ Jesus. Now back up to verse 31. What then shall we say of these things, about all these things, about the glory to come? How are we going to get there? He tells us how we're going to get there in this section. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's a good question, isn't it? If God is for you, who can be against you? Who's more powerful than God? nobody so if god has your victory in hand if god has your outcome in hand who can who can dissuade god who can fight greater than god no one not even satan himself not even satan himself can is more powerful than god if god is for us who can be who is against us no one no one can be People can say things against us. The enemy was allowed to test Job, but he was not in control of Job's life. You see, there's so many things that we tend to, when we're going through something, and I've been there, trust me, where it's so bad you think, oh my gosh, God, God's, God's left me, or oh my gosh, God, this is too big for God. No, it's not. No, it's not. If God says, that, we're going to, we're, that, that it's going to come to pass, that we're going to be okay, then nothing's going to dissuade that. Nothing's going to dissuade that. We can dissuade it. We can choose to, to not follow God. Will God then dissuade his decision? I don't think he would, but I think it would be a longer... It's like with the children of Israel. If they would have just believed God, they wouldn't have walked 40 years in the desert. God didn't kill them, he didn't give up on them, but they had to go through this thing for 40 years until they came to the place of total belief. Okay, so if God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He gave up his son, the most precious thing to him. Think about your children, how precious your children are, sons or daughters or whatever the case. Could you or would you say, you know what, go ahead, I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you die in someone else's place. This guy that you're going die, to die for is a, is a, is a jerk He's a murderer, he's a rapist, he doesn't stand for anything, for anything society, he's a a bad guy. But I'm going to let you die for him so he can get out of jail. Would any of us do that? I think we should, we could all say no, not at all. This person does not deserve my child's life. But that's what God did. But that's what God did. How precious are we then? Think about that. How precious are you to God if God gave up his most precious thing for you and me? me? How precious are we? Better yet, more so, how precious is your unsaved loved ones? those of us that we know that do not know God, how precious are they? How precious are they? We know where we're going. We're going to be with Jesus in the end. We know that. We've read the back of the book. We win. We know we're going to be with Jesus. What about, but what about those of our family members that, are, that reject what about those or family members that make fun, that don't give time for God? What about them? Does God love them? Absolutely. He gave his son up even for them. So that's why I said this morning as we're looking at this, we need to be thinking about how, to, how God freely gave his son, how we should freely give that love back to the best of our ability. Because he gave everything. He hasn't asked me to give everything. Probably not asking any one of you to give everything. But God gave everything. Gave his most precious thing, his son. For something he viewed more precious, you and I. Now, who shall bring a charge? Against God's elect. The enemy does that all the time. He's the accuser of the brethren. You ever do something wrong or think a wrong thought, and then the enemy's like, oh, you call yourself a Christian? Christians don't think like that. Christians don't say those things. Christians don't think that way. Christians don't do those things. You know, those things in our mind that come about. That's not God, per se. That's the enemy. God will allow things to happen so we say, you know what? I was wrong. God, forgive me. But the accusation, the fear, and all of that does not come from God. It comes from the enemy. God knows we are frail. God knows we are tainted. God knows we're sinful. But he loves us anyway. The Bible says Jesus said that there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the condemnation comes from the enemy. Conviction comes from God. That conviction where we know we must go to God and ask for forgiveness, that comes from God. Now, It is God who justifies, not me. I'm not justified by my own thinking, not you by your own thinking or or your own will to do something. You are not justified by yourself. You are justified by God. God justifies you through this very act of giving His Son, giving what He loved the most so that we could have life with Him. We are justified through that, not through anything we can do. Not through anything we can do, not through anything we can say, not, any, not, even, not even tradition. Tradition does not justify us. Our way of doing things. You know, some, some churches are the same every week. You go through the same thing every week. The message is different, but you go through the same thing every week. Now, this is not us. I'm not saying we are, but we do the, we do the, the same order of service every week but we are called to be better than we are today, tomorrow. We are called to be better the next day than we were the day before. We are justified by God and by his sac- by Jesus' sacrifice and his death on the cross and his resurrection and all the promises of God in the book. We're justified by those things, not by what we can do. We're not justified by the sacraments. We're not justified by good works. We're justified by God and him alone. Not even our desire to be right with God justifies us. God justifies us. Why would you say that? Why would you say that your desire to be right with God doesn't justify you because not every day do we want to be right with God? We get up every day, right? And then, then how we slept the night before or what our agenda is, those things justify those things dictate whether we want to be following God's plan for that day. Well, I slept like terrible last night. And I'll tell you what, I just got so much to do today, I just don't have time for God. You know, if you think about that, how many times does that happen? Too many times for me. You think about it, you think, well, you know, I slept horrible. I don't usually sleep horrible. I usually sleep pretty good, but How many times do we have so much stuff to do? We have, you know, we we do this, 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 and then maybe at the end of the day, God will get a few minutes. That that doesn't mean that our desire justifies us. God justifies us because we're not always going to desire to do do it right, right. So God justifies us, not anything else. Who is he who condemns? Who is he who condemns? We already know that it says that in Christ there is no condemnation. Right? So who is it who condemns? The enemy. The devil. Satan. The dragon. He condemns. He's the one who says, well, you didn't have time for God. You're going you're, you're gonna, to... You're going to lose out. You're going to go to hell. You're gonna do, he's the one who does all that. You didn't read your Bible today? Man, I thought you said you were faithful to God. He's the one who does that, not God. God understands, but God would want us to be better than we are. And the condemnation does not come from God. Now, It goes on. It is Christ who died, yes, who is risen. That's why all the promises of this book are made real, because that statement, he rose. If he died and stayed dead, he would be just another person, another human, another person that, that we could admire as a prophet. But he rose. That's why these promises can be made real in him through us, through him to us. He rose, who is also at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Jesus knows our shortcomings. He was also fully human. He had shortcomings. The Bible says that he didn't have shortcomings. Don't take me wrong. He, had, he knew of the shortcomings because he was tempted every manner of man. He knew those things. So he intercedes for us because he understands the trials and the tests and the temptations and and the the wanting to be uh, fully sold out to God, but having all of these things come about, he understands all that and he intercedes before to God before God on our behalf. He's a loving God. He's a loving Savior. He's personal. That's why he's so personal because he can say, you know what? Uh, he can pray and say, Well, God is God, Father, Josh has done this and done this, and, 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 and give him another shot. And, 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 you know, like Moses did, or not Moses, I get those two messed up. Abraham did with Lot and, and Sodom and Gomorrah. If there would be 50, would you destroy it? No. If there would be 10, would you destroy it? No. There was only Lot and his wife. But Abraham interceded, and Jesus does the same thing for us. He intercedes for us. Calls out to his Father for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? These are not whose. These are situations. Now, In these situations, we have the ability in tribulation to turn away from God. We have the ability in distress or persecution or famine to turn away from God. We have the the ability in the wanting of our lives of no, where it says nakedness, where there is no, uh, where we are wanting in our natural, physical needs like uh just the basic ones like clothing and food and all those things. That's what it's talking about, it says nakedness. Even in that, does that turn us can does that turn us away from God? No, the 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 situation of being in want does not turn us away from God, but we can lose heart in that situation and walk away from God. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? We can we can say, well, God has forgotten me. That's why I have famine and nakedness and and persecution and all of these things. God has forgotten me. We could say that and we could say, well, I'm going to go over here and do this because obviously God doesn't love me anymore. So I'm going to go find someone else that will. We turn ourselves away from God. These things do not. The situations do not. Our reaction to the situations is what turns us away from God back to our old life does a sword if you are if you are a believer and you will not relent your faith a sword will usher you into the presence of God but if you are sitting and somebody says well we're going to kill you if you don't renounce your faith and you have a weak moment you say I renounce my faith and they kill you anyway that would then usher you apart from God. You see, it's our reaction to these situations. So, therefore, it all makes sense that we can walk away. We can walk away from it. These things will not, situations will not cause us to have no relationship with God. But our reaction to them will. See, a lot of people use these as like, well, you know, I can go ahead and look at the, the dirty magazines and I can go ahead and do this and do that because nakedness will not separate me away, me away from God. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about a, a situation of want, A situation of want, nakedness, and famine. It's not talking about looking at dirty magazines and not having food. It's talking about having no food and no clothing that is good enough to wear. A situation of want. And our reaction to the situations of want in our lives is what dictates whether we are with God or apart from God. Goodness sake, look at Job. This was Job. Job. He lost everything. What was his reaction? He had tribulation and distress. His three friends persecuted him and told him, and his wife told him to curse God and die. He didn't. He lost all of his food and all of his livestock. He had no. His clothes were horrible. Did he turn away from God? No. He did not return. Turn away from God. He is the example. Goes on and he says for we are for it is written for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. If we are believers, we're under attack. Whether we want to believe that or not whether it's going well for us now or not, we've got to understand that if we are believers, we're under attack. Maybe not outwardly, maybe not, maybe not to where we can see it and whatever, but there is a war for our souls in heaven. The enemy is trying his best to pull as many as he can away from God and back to with him. But understand that just because we have going, things going well, there is still a war going on for our soul. He says, "For your sake, we are killed all day long and counted as sheep to the slaughter. Persecution is going to happen. Persecution that we consider in America is not persecution, but it still it has an effect. We are we are a target." Of the enemy. We must understand that, and we must cling close to God in those situations. He says, knowing all these things, and all of these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. What happened with Job? In all of his faith, what happened in the end? Everything, everything was restored back to Job. More than he had before because he was more than a conqueror through him who loved him. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities nor powers, neither things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In and of themselves, these things cannot separate us from the love of God, but our reaction to them—things, those things—can. Did you like my uh, phonetic Southern them—them them things, them things? But they can separate us from God. Our reaction, our thought of you know, I'm having a hard day. God doesn't love me anymore. I'm just going to go over here and find somebody that will. I'm going to go and I'm going to put my drown my sorrows in a bottle. I'm going to go and shoot up a needle. I'm going to go and put stuff in my nose because God doesn't love me anymore. Those things, those reactions, those those things separate us from God. Not the principalities and things themselves because we are sealed in God. We are sealed in God. But our reaction does. Our reaction does. Or lack thereof, reaction does. If we call upon God in these times, listen, if we are dealing with something in our life today, I don't care what it is, if you're dealing with something today, what is your reaction? What's your reaction? What do you? What do you want? What do you? What is your thought pattern? God, am I? Am I doing what you want me to do? God, you've forgotten me, or God, strengthen me and strengthen my family, strengthen my friend, or strengthen my whatever the case. Is that our thought pattern, or is our thought pattern? Well, God has forgotten this. These people, because look at them—they're going through so much. And if God's forgotten them, then God can forget me, and I can't trust God. So therefore, I'm going to go work. I can know that I can trust something. And and let me tell you, if you're a believer, the thing that you can trust, that you feel you can trust, is your old life. That's why people go back to the bottle. That's why people go back to the drugs. That's why people go back to the fornication and the adulterous relationships, because That is what they know, and that's what's comfortable. Going through things like this is not comfortable. Therefore, we lose heart. God wants us to walk through these uncomfortable things and come out victorious on the other side, knowing that he's with us. Knowing that he's with us. Sure, we've gone through stuff. I've gone through stuff. I've been through situations. I've done things that I'm not proud of. And there there when I was a new believer, when God was still working on me and he still is working on me, but it was a new situation. There were times in my life when sure it looked really good to go back to the way I was because that's what I knew. 21 years later, I know God more. I know he loves me. I know he ultimately has my best interest in heart. I know that he has all these things for me. He is for me and who can be against me? We have to get to that place. No matter what we're going through. We might be going through, I'm going to say this, we might be going through a proverbial hell on earth. But guess what? God's walking with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. God is with us. God is with us. We have to recognize that. So many times we forget, because we don't feel him, we don't feel he's there because we live this society, and I'll shut up in a minute, but society has this whole thing where you have to have feelings in order to know God is there. You have to have, you have, to have some sort of emotional thing for God to be there. That isn't the case. What does the word of God say? And that's what we have to get to, a place we have to get to. God uses emotions, yes. God works through us through our emotions, yes. But if that is our only denominator of how we know God is working, we're forgetting the Bible. We're forgetting the Bible. God works in more ways than through our emotions. You know, you go go to a service or you see a service and you have people that are just you know, they're, they're running up to the front. Some of them are being real. God's using their emotions to work on their life, and some of them are just move with emotions because everybody else is. And you don't really know outside of the situation what is authentic and what is not. But God wants us to focus on his word. We don't have to have a huge emotional thing for God to move, we don't have to have this huge uh, emotional uh, roller coaster of feelings in the front of the church or or because God can move in those ways. Don't get me wrong, God can move in those ways and God does, but not in every single situation. God will move. In ways that are very, very personal to each and every one of us that might involve emotions and might not. But it's very personal. It's very personal. And so, to understand that God is for us, God loves us, and we know we have to get to the point where we trust the Word of God and trust God regardless of the outcome that comes about, if we get to that point, we have won three quarters of the battle. We have won three quarters of the battle in our life. Any Anything you want to think about. You know, Jim's addiction. Uh, anything. If you trust God for the good outcome that is three-quarters of the battle. The rest of it is us us following through with what God wants us to do. Because in that point of trusting God, God is going to say to us and to me and to you, this is what needs to change. Maybe it's judgment. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's tail bearing and backbiting or maybe it's smoking or maybe it's whatever god will say this has to change this has to stop the rest of the trusting god is us going okay god if you say i will do and then following through that's the rest of it that's the rest of it do we do that that's a little question i think about when i think about this for myself personally me, none of you, me, personally. I think about, do I do that? When God says, you know what? And he, and he calls me Josh. Josh, this has got to change. You got to stop doing this. Now I think about to myself, do I change? Do I, do I do that which he's told me to do? Sometimes yes. Sometimes he has to work on me a little more. I'm being transparent, okay? We can all say that. But God still wants us to follow through. If he says, if we say, God, I trust you, then we have to trust him. And then it begs the question, if we don't do what he says, is there really trust? Do we really trust, right? So those are things I want us to think about. Does that make sense? Did I talk over anybody? I didn't mean to if I was up here, or I didn't want to step on any toes? If I did, God talk to God about it, don't talk to me. okay? Uh, but um, understand that I care about each and every one of you and I know God does too and I want us to be the best we can be for God and, and if that means, if that means uh, being a witness for God and growing this church or if it means just being a witness for God and being 11, 12 people, we need to be the best for God and that's what I want. I want you to be the best you can be. I want to be the best I can be. If we can get in that frame of mind, that mode, then we're better off no matter if we have 11 people or 1,100, right? Amen? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you today for your blessing. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless and minister to us through your word. Help us to uh, fully trust. Help us to look to you in in the situations that, Lord, to us look bad, to us look grim. Help us to to uh, fully come to the place of knowing you are in control. And Lord, help us in our disbelief and unbelief in times. Be with us now. We thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I value the hymns. I value them. I think they are, they've, they've stood the test of time. And and the words, if you read the words of the hymns, apart from the music, there is such a rich theology there that has just stood the test of time. And as long as I'm here, we will use the hymn books because the hymns are important. Yes. That, if you've read the story behind that hymn, what a testimony of what God did in the life of John Newton. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So why wouldn't you want that to be a part of your church? It speaks of the, the grace and the mercy and the loving kindness of God in so many of the hymns. So that's my feeling on it. No extra, no extra charge for that. Um, but, but anyway, um, thank you all for being here today. God bless you. You all truly are an important part of my week, and I want you to know that. And, and uh, Wayne, you dress like that next week, and I'll let you preach if you want to. But I uh, but, um, understand that uh, God is good, and, and I do desire for us to grow not only in numbers, but more importantly, in understanding and spirit of God. I think that's, that's the most important thing. Because if we're doing it, if we're, if we're active on it, then, the, then signs will follow. People will come. And I think we're seeing that in the social media arena. But uh, God, is, God is doing some good things. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being faithful to God and uh, allowing God to work in your lives as well as he works in mine. Amen. May he bless you this week. Give you a good week. May your understanding grow in God as you read his word. and May he bless you.